Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, agency owner? If you're new here, I've got a free ebook on how to scale your business to multiple six and even seven figures by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself as the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is DM me the word gift on Facebook at Brent Weaver. That's facebook.com slash Brent Weaver. And I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in business and life. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we're hanging out with John Weiss. He is the co-founder and partner at Human Design. For the past two decades, John has been an entrepreneur, investor, founder, and designer. His work is guided by purpose, passion, simplicity, beauty, innovation, and surprise. He's currently working in human design and also mothership. He strives to move the human race by creating experiences that help individuals to be human to the fullest, create lasting relationships, and shape the future. He's got clients that you might have heard of, like Nike, Twitter, and Google, and also working on a project called Ladder with names like LeBron James, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Cindy Crawford. John, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Yeah, paint us a picture of human design today. What's the agency look like? How many people do you have? What's your core discipline? We are about 40 people. We have our headquarters here in Boulder, Colorado. We have a small office in Portland, Oregon, and Los Angeles as well. And we've stayed independent. So we just turned seven as a company and we are full service. So we do everything but press release like PR work or event planning. So that's us in a nutshell. Seven years, 40 people. That's pretty good. I talked to a lot of agencies and uh, it's pretty rare that we hear of people going from, you know, kind of a, a one or two or a small partnership to 40 people within seven years. Uh, so first, congrats on on that. Um, now, how'd you do it? <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate that compliment. Uh, my partner and I have been working really hard. We've It's a ton of hard work. And then I know it's a cliche answer, but a lot of it's hard work plus some luck, plus a lot of help along the way in terms of people recommending us and coming back to us for work. And it's really never lost on us that people have to choose to work with us and then choose to sign up with us again. Um, but yeah, how we were able to do it initially was just a lot of word of mouth. You know, we started in Boulder and Boulder is a great community. Every agency tends to help each other out. Uh, we pass work around. We kind of have that abundance attitude where if we're not a good fit. We know of someone that is and uh, just worked off of our network and our network's network and delivered project one, then project two, then project three, and just kind of stacked them on top of each other. And uh, we started out as a product focused company. So my background was design. Matt, my business partner, his background was technology. We started building products and we then expanded into branding and marketing and stuff that uh, we were good at and needed to become great at. So we started kind of working to become great at those things. And as we did, we got more work and then we grew through acquisition. So we purchased a video production company about three years ago. And then we purchased a small marketing firm and then we purchased a UX shop 
as well. So we've kind of then bolstered on our offerings through acquisition, which was really the best way, in my opinion, to do it because not only did we get super talented people and a book of business, but we also could speak to it honestly. You know, if we had an RFP that we were responding to or a client that was interested, we were able to say that we have done this work, we've done it really well for a long time. And it was just a good, honest answer versus, you know, we wanted to get into this. We started doing it. We've hired a couple of people to do it. We think we're great at it. So instead of that, it was like, you know, we've, we've brought this company into the fold. They're excellent. And uh, that helped a lot. When did you guys make a decision to grow through acquisition? Was that something that you knew that you intended to do initially or that kind of developed through opportunities? The latter. We didn't know. So when we set out the when we set out to start the company, we just wanted to make a product for ourselves. And we were building, you know, we both had careers where we were building things for other people. And when we started human design together, it was this idea of why don't we build a product for ourselves and create recurring revenue? You know, the grass is always greener on the product side or the agency side, depending on which side you're on. So for us, it was how do we make money while we're sleeping? How do we make a product that we can sell? And the agency model was the idea with the agency was that that's how we would pay to make our product. And we would take on clients and we'd build our product. And then once our product took off, then we would, you know, close down, taking on more work. And then the agency side just started taking off. And then we had a production company that we'd partnered with, a small company, about three or four people. And we, we really liked their work quite a bit. And then in 2017, it seemed like it was just a bad year for everybody ish. It was a terrible year for us. <laughs> I think it was the first year in Droga's history where they had layoffs, if I recall correctly. But 2017 was a weird year. And we did not have a great year. And that was when Matt and I started thinking about, you know, we're, we're really burned out on the ups and the downs. How do we scale this thing? How do we just stop on the hamster wheel? And that's when it was like, let's, let's actually expand our offerings. Let's expand what we can do. And then from there, it's just a sequencing of like, how do you do that? What's the best way to do it? For us, it was like, what if we just purchased, took any profits that we had and buy a company to do that faster? So it wasn't intentional at all. It was more a reaction to what we needed to do to kind of survive and expand. When we were running our agency, we, we did a couple of kind of book of business acquisitions. And uh, I think that's super smart in terms of figuring out ways to find talent and and also the book of business, right? I mean, the two hardest things that agencies do is find clients and find people to work for them, right? I mean, in doing that organically and going out there and interviewing a person, one person at a time is uh, is kind of a slow way to do it. I'm, I'm surprised I don't hear more often of agencies buying other agencies. So did the teams, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that specifically, just because I don't hear, an, I don't hear about it very often. So I think if our listeners are wondering like, oh, wow, maybe I want to buy an agency to grow or maybe I want to sell my, my agency to another agency. How did you keep the talent on board with the acquisition? I mean, isn't that kind of a risk that they're going to, you're going to buy the video agency and then they're like, oh, well, maybe you don't like working for human, right? I mean, how did you make sure that the talent kind of came with the deals? And then also um, we'll talk about the clients kind of next, but let's start with the talent. Yeah, it's a great question. I think part of it may be, the answer may be in the, original comment that you made that you don't see a lot of small agencies buying other small agencies. Uh, you either see large holding companies or large organizations and companies buy small agencies. So it's large to small, or you see small and small 
merge or you know combine forces. So typically with smaller agencies joining other small agencies in a merger, the challenge I've seen there in the past is that there isn't a clear head to the snake, so to speak. Like there isn't a clear benevolent dictatorship. You know, you have two teams join forces and it's a little bit of a decision on who owns what. Whereas a small agency buying another small agency, for us, there was just a lot of good that came out of that because since we're so small and the companies we're buying are pretty small, then there's not a lot of conversation to be had. You know, these teams of three to five people are people that we have gotten to know. Like on the film, mm. film discipline, we knew them, we knew their work, they knew us. So it wasn't, it didn't feel more aggressive or even borderline hostile to have us come in and buy them as much as just like a really good exit for them where they were happy about it and they benefited from it. So it made our job easier to keep the talent because they were excited about what we were doing. They loved human design, they loved our mission. So for them coming on board, it was nothing but good. It just gave them a lot of stability, a lot of peace of mind, it gave them access to bigger work, bigger clients. You know, suddenly they're part of a bigger shift that they already kind of agreed with the mission on. So keeping the people for us in acquisitions is the easy part. Uh, the client piece, you know, the second acquisition we did was not as great or as helpful for us. You know, it taught us a lot of things, but it didn't yield what we'd hoped it would. Uh, and that second one, you know, was what you're talking about. You know, you have some client attrition, you have some things that just don't go smooth. <laughs> And then the third one was more of like a asset acquisition, book of business acquisition. How did you set up your, any kind of processes or strategies to try to keep as many of those clients as possible or just kind of manage that handoff? Because, you know, I imagine for a business who's working with a services business, right? It's, it's easy to switch, right? I mean, brands change agencies all of the time. And I feel like having that, some kind of event happen could give them a good, good excuse to evaluate their business. I mean, I'm sure you guys had a little bit of a strategy of how to keep those clients happy, how to keep them with yeah. human. Um, is there anything you guys did specifically in trying to keep as many of those clients to stick with the agency as possible? Uh, that's a good question. I wish I had some sort of like tactical answer to help someone that's looking to do this. Like, here's how you keep clients, like the top 10 tricks to do that. We didn't really do anything different only because the acquisitions that we did, the reason for acquiring those companies was so that we could increase our service capability. So we felt like the brand that human had already was strong and that we did really top shelf work for those things that we did. The companies that we then bought had to have, especially on the film side, had to have a book of business and quality of portfolio that matched ours. So then when he paired it up, the conversations with the client were ones where they they weren't grateful. They didn't feel like they owed us, but they were excited. Like, okay, cool. So, you know, the company that we've been with is now part of the bigger machine. We're excited about that. And I guess actually now I'm thinking about that. There is a direct question. How we put their mind at ease was that, you know, their price wasn't going to be increasing at least for the next 12 months. So, you know, nice grandfathered in on the pricing. And then we had conversations about basically just everything that you loved about the existing agency, the film crew that you have. Now they have a lot more support around them. They can focus on their craft. They don't have to worry about the back office and running the business. They actually 
you know, they're clear to do even better work and they now have a support system. So actually, now that I think of it, we did kind of have those conversations uh, with the clients. Hey, agency owners, are you currently building, managing, or optimizing WordPress websites and struggling to keep up or becoming the bottleneck? I'm excited to announce Unlimited WP, a white label team that can help you do more with less. Whether you're building a WordPress website, doing updates, or maintenance and backups, you can assign all those tasks and more to Unlimited WP so you can free your time, make more money, and focus on what's most important. Get 25% off your first month by using the code DAS2020 at unlimitedwp.com to start today. Now let's get back to our interview. I want to kind of change uh, topics a little bit. Some of this relates to the talent um, and also the clients, but not so much the acquisition, but really I get the impression from looking at your portfolio and also some of the clients that we named that you have like Nike and in those types, you all do really good work. And you mentioned this earlier that you work really hard and do good work. And a, a lot of people say they do really good work, but I think if you actually look at your portfolio, you guys do really good work. So is that just finding the right people or how are you creating this culture of, you know, really putting a lot of effort into the craft and pushing yourselves and each other? I mean, how are you guys creating that culture of doing really good work? Because there's a lot of people that think they do really good work and then there are the people that actually do really good work. And I think you guys are probably in the latter. Like you do really good work and you think you do really good work, which is super cool. So how are you building that culture of talent to play at that level? Yeah. I think the biggest piece is the people that you have. I know it's the easy answer, but it's the truth. An agency is just a collection of people that you choose to put into a culture and into an environment that you believe creates consistent results. You know, that's really the only reason why, and not the only reason, but the biggest reason that an agency provides value over a gig economy or someone piecing there that are multiple freelancers and multiple small shops. You know, the agency creates a culture and a system that has efficiencies and creates outcomes that the creative is not predictable, but the results and the quality is predictable. And that really does depend on the people. And you're not looking for people that are like really passionate. Passion is just table stakes. You're looking for people that really care deeply about the details. And that when you say things like, hey, it's always, 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 always about the work, that they understand what you mean by that. You know, they don't take offense like, oh, I thought it was about the culture and the people and it's being friends. And But they understand what you mean by that. Like, yeah, everything, the work leads everything. If we do amazing work, we're going to make more money. If we make more money, we can hire more people. We can have better impact. It's just like Walt Disney. I always appropriate his quote where he said, we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make more movies. You know, there's this natural order of things of like, it's always about the work. Your best business development and your best biz like BD funnel is your existing work. And if you have a group of people that are either really proud of the work that they put out or disappointed, and it's literally that binary, then you have a good, good environment. And the people, it has to be that binary. Either you're putting out work that you're proud of and you're excited about, or you're putting out work that, you know, maybe you're a little disappointed because the client took the edge off the work or you didn't say no. Or you compromise and you're like, yeah, it's good enough. But when you go home, you're kind of bummed about it. And if you have a group of people that are that binary where, where they know, hey, we produce something that we're proud of, we're really excited about this, then that's, that's where you start. How do you find these people? You mentioned acquisition and having some collaborative working relationships with 
companies and actually just buying them, yeah. which is, which is great if you have a good nest egg or war chest to be able to acquire companies strategically. But, uh, what do you do outside of that in terms of talent acquisition and finding people that do great work? It's a mix. I mean, a mix of, you know, my network, our network. But I think when you're finding people, it's really when you're interviewing people, you're looking for that immediate chemistry test. Because right now, especially with the market, the way it is, you know, if, if anybody in the future, there's that one person in 2022 that comes across this or watches this, you know, it's 2020, it's COVID. Like the market's flooded with really good people that need work. The talent's out there. And I think it's, you can find the talent, but it's how quick are you able to kind of assess and suss out what you need and then just be super clear about what you're looking for. And for us, that's been the most important thing is in any interview being really candid, really honest, and really just right to the point. You know, for this role, we're looking for someone that can do these five things. And those five things are usually the intangible things, you know, positivity. You know, how do you approach your work with positivity? How do you problem solve? Are you someone that speaks with candor and consistency and clarity? Are you a good teammate? You know, what, is it, what does it mean to you to be in this industry? If you weren't in this industry, what else would you be doing? Those sort of questions help us find the right people because that's, that's really, for me, the only way I can separate portfolios. You know, in our business, your, your talent is exposed. I'm exposed to your talent in terms of I can look at your portfolio, I can look at your work. And if I trust that you did everything that's in your portfolio, and it's a you know 10 out of a 10, and then I look at seven other candidates and it, it's a 10 out of 10, then it comes down to everything I just mentioned. You know, attitude, accountability, ownership, flexibility, you know, someone that's flexible if something changes because creativity changes all the time, you know, and in our business, it's like the best people are the ones that feel pretty flexible too. So do you find that when you're, that, that you really lead because of your focus on work, you're leading with, or at least initially evaluating the portfolios, the work history, that kind of stuff um, first, and then looking at more of that personality kind of seconds? Yes. Yeah. Unless unless it's a recommendation from someone. But yeah, the work always leads for us, um, especially when it's a creative role, uh, because that's just table stakes. You know, if, if we're then talking about you joining the company culturally and the work that we're doing and our mission, then we just have to get out of the way that we believe that you have the skill sets to do the job day one, like come Monday morning. There are times where there are portfolios where you can tell that there's just something there and it's not super dialed in yet, but you can just tell it's a diamond in the rough. And then for that one, it's like, we'll bring them in and then they have to be a, a stronger interview, of course. But we usually lead with the work, especially on visual roles. We do have, you know, we have account managers, we have account strategists, we have media buyers, we have people that do not have a portfolio that is easy to look at and like ascertain skills. So for those people, we actually do start looking at education more. Uh, we look at background more. Um, the more varied the background, the better. In those certain roles, we love people that we don't have to have 10 years of agency experience. Maybe it's like two years of agency experience, but it's also you know someone that was a teacher or someone that you know was a manager at a coffee shop or someone that just has probably like this resilience and grit based on their experience and it's outside of agency. So if it's a designer, we lead with the work. If it's any other role, we lead with like varied experience and just flexibility. Where are you guys sourcing for these? You mentioned referrals. 
Uh, are there any places that you found have worked well for you in terms of finding some of that talent? And I, and I do, uh, it was funny when you said earlier that, uh, you know, 2017 was a weird year. I was like, well, we're, we're definitely in a weird year right now, right? 2020 is definitely yeah. weird. Uh, so mm-hmm. all bets might be off on things that worked historically. Uh, and, and yeah. I think there is a, a lot of people in the workforce right now, but are there any kind of tried and true Honeywells that you guys go to to find really good talent right now? LinkedIn, <laughs> but LinkedIn, LinkedIn has, LinkedIn has been great for us, but you have to go like we had, uh, we had one job that we'd posted with 610 applicants. So you have to wait through a lot, but you get such a good cross section of the country. We, that's a lot of used. applications. I just want to put that out there. Like, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. 50 to hundred is like a really good, like, Oh wow. We've got, yeah. you know, a pool, but 610, totally. like you have to have, systems in place just to kind of filter through that many people that's a lot of people it was a lot yeah we've never used headhunters i know they don't someone don't like that term but we've never used placement agencies or headhunters i don't have a problem with them at all it's just um right now i i worked at my first agency when i was 19 i'm 41 so i've been doing this for a long time so a lot of its network a lot of its connections linkedin social media is actually a good one for us um, you know, oftentimes if we're in a pinch for someone really, really good, Twitter, uh, has been great for us. Got some good leads through that, but I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, we've talked about your quality of the work, kind of your commitment to the work, the talent you have a little bit of your, your, your growth strategy around acquisition. But, um, you know, earlier you said like, you know, you've gotten some of these big clients by just, you know, doing good work and then getting like another referral and another referral. I mean, is is it really that simple or, I mean, how do you get into some of these blue chip level companies? I mean, I was just on a, on the, a call with uh, a client of mine who, who's trying to break into some more Fortune 100, Fortune 500. And I mean, there is a lot of luck to that, right? But I mean, are, is there anything that you're doing to make sure that you're building relationships with people at that level where you are staying in front of the decision makers in some of those larger organizations? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because as you say, as you're saying that back to me, it's like, yeah, it's maybe easier after seven years and some growth to be like, oh yeah, I've done some neat things. But when you're in the midst midst of it, it's like, man, we're it's a slog, you know, working eighty hour weeks and we're traveling a ton or pitching a lot. But for us, the main thing was when I say pitching a lot, that was usually like after a warm lead. Early on, we kind of took this approach of we don't pitch, we do projects. So if you ask us to pitch you, we're too small for that. Like we don't have the time or the budget or the desire to pitch. You can look at our work, you can look at our background, you can look at our portfolios, and you should be able, if you're sophisticated as a client for what you need, you should be able to ascertain if we're a good fit for you. So that was early on was we took this approach of like, rather than us spending 10 grand as a team for two weeks to put together a pitch to convince you, I'd rather take that 10 grand and put it towards a project. And, you know, I'll put in that 10 grand. If you put in 10 grand, now we got $20,000 worth to do a project together. So early on, it was sort of like, what are we willing to say yes to in terms of RFPs and pitches? So we were always focusing on projects and then getting our foot in the door at these blue chip projects or clients were really about what are we willing to say yes to and give up? You know, we're, we're obviously at the time, we're willing to give up all most, if not all of our margin, we're willing to probably not even make money on the first couple projects, but we need to get our foot in the door. 
we also need to find what's our wedge play. You know, at the time it was velocity and precision. We can move incredibly fast, incredibly precise, and we could do for a fraction of the cost, we could do more than what RGA or AKQA could do. And we're, it's no shade on the work. It's amazing. But at the time it's like, we're not going to compete on the work because they're doing phenomenal work too. So where do we compete? We compete on speed, precision, maybe a little bit on price. And then once we kind of get our foot in the door, then it's just delivering. Hey, what's up agency owners? As someone that's built hundreds of websites for clients over the last 20 years, I know how important it is to have a content management system that helps me launch sites fast. If you're looking for a new CMS that can launch sites in half the time as a typical WordPress build, I'd like to introduce you to a new platform called Zephyr a content management system built for power users and agencies. Build websites faster, make clients happier. Find out more information at ZephyrCMS.com and get one free site for life and a free theme setup valued at $500. That's ZephyrCMS.com. Now let's get back to our interview. So to say that you're willing to give up most or all of your margin, to me at least, implies some vision and strategy around these are the people we want to work with and work around. So we're going to give up something in the short term because long term, we're going to do more stuff with them. So had you all as a, as a partnership sat down and said, Hey, we want to, we want to get into these rooms. We want to get into these, this level of clients doing this type of stuff. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. Or was it, uh, or was it more organic? It was a mix. We, we definitely had the conversations of who do we want to go after and how do we get in there and if if they if they're willing to listen to us, then we're, you know, we're willing to give up margins and such. But it was a mix. And then there's organic, like Twitter, we ended up getting that because someone had heard of me and heard of some of the work I'd done, reached out to me on an individual level. And then we were able to say, okay, let's get the deal done and then we'll go from there. And you know, I think too for small agencies or whoever's watching this right now, it was really key for us and it helped us for whatever it's worth to never give up profit. You know, when I say cutting in a margin, if like most, if not all of our margin, um, margin is just that it's the margin it's what you can play with. So it was really important for us to set the expectations with our clients of like, we won't do anything at a loss. We may do it at cost, but even then we would tell our clients, we're still making money. Like you still have to trust our business acumen that we know how to make money and be solvent and be around. Um, because you know, a lot of these clients you want to work with, they don't want a deal. They say that they want a deal, but they really want you to meet. They they want high quality. They want you to meet their deadlines. They want it on time. They don't want you to run over budget. But a lot of them, they're not looking for like a crazy killer, like 50% off deal. They're just looking for like a, yeah, cool. You're showing me you're hungry. You're showing me you want our business. I really appreciate that. But don't cut yourself off so much that now you're compromising. So, you know, we would cut our margins. We would do things. Uh, a lot less, but we'd also in the same conversation, let them know, just to be clear, we're not taking a haircut on it. Like, well, technically we are, but we're not losing money. You know, this isn't something where it's like, we're being altruistic towards you and we're just like doing whatever we can in the business. It's more, we fully appreciate what you bring to the table. We fully appreciate that we want a long-term relationship with you. And we fully appreciate what this means for us as a small business. It's not lost on us what it's going to be like to have Netflix as a client. So therefore, you know, typically it's going to cost 10 bucks, but we're going to charge you seven. So, and that helped a lot with the bigger companies. Have there been instances with some of these bigger brands where 
it was clear that it was a bad fit between you two? Because I imagine if you are talking about, you know, doing some work on a lower margin or investing in one of their projects and, and kind of putting your best foot forward to be in the room. I mean, was there, have you guys had some stuff that you've had to say, yeah, that's, that's not a good fit for us. Like we're going to, we're going to pass on that. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There, there are a few that either didn't fit like what we'd want to do. And then there's, there's, there's the ones that feel like it'd be bad money and it's not, it's, it isn't bad people, but you just know it's going to be bad money. The work's going to feel demoralizing you know, we're not going to be able to have the creative latitude that we need to actually really push the work and get it to where it needs to be. So That's the first gonna... first time on this show I've ever heard somebody say bad money. Uh, <laughs> so, and I, I immediately am going, oh, I know what he's talking about, right? I mean, yeah, we've all yeah, taken yeah. some bad money where it's it's like, ugh, yeah. like, shouldn't have taken that check. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you mentioned like the work's going to be demoralizing or it's not fun or maybe it's not kind of in your core you know, it's not really going to push your work forward. What other examples of, of bad money have you found yourself in? Potentially belligerent or aggressive personalities. You know, just being in meetings early on where you could just, the writings on the wall about how the account team is going to be treated if we were to win this account or how we, we are going to be positioned as an agency if we win this account. And the way that we typically like the signals I'm looking for is this idea that you, you keep them how you caught them. And if, if we have to catch the work by jumping through hoops that are just displacing our position in the relationship to where we're kind of coming across subservient or we're coming across different than what we want. And we know that that doesn't feel good. And that the reality is if we get the work, it's not going to change. It never does. Like, however you get the work is how you keep the work. So if we have to change how we talk or show up to get the work, then that's a huge flag for us because then that's, that's not a game that's fun to play over a long period of time or even a short project, like three to six months. Like, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to have to remember your own preferences for how we show up. Mm. You know, if we can't show up and be ourselves then that's when we've said no to stuff because it's going to be bad money because it's going to be like, oh yeah, this is that one client. How do we need to act more around them? Like they didn't like, they didn't like us. So they, they liked when we kind of acted different. How did we act? Mm-hmm. And that's just a drain. You know, it's super inefficient. The work suffers. People get demoralized. People want off the project. It's just not fun. And you know, you ran and sold a company, you know, as well as anybody, it's incredibly hard. And if it's not fun, it's not worth it. Like you might as well just go work for someone else and get a paycheck every two weeks. Well, John, this has been uh, super fascinating. I'm excited for our show notes page in particular for this episode because I feel like you have these perfect quotables. Like, you know, oh, how cool. you act to get the work is how you uh, keep the work. Bad money. Uh, we don't pitch. We do projects. There was a lot of uh, a lot of really good little nuggets that I can tell you've been in the agency space for a long time. You've got the uh, the quotables. This is super fun. So, um, dude, do you have a couple more seconds for our lightning round? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's do it. All right. What is the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I ever received, hands down, was this idea that the that what you're doing right now is not going to be the last greatest thing you, you've ever done. So when I heard that, I don't know who gave that to me, but when I heard that, that was just really freeing for me. 
because everybody talks about being okay with failure and failing fast. But if you have this idea of like, what I'm doing right now is not the last greatest thing I'm ever going to do. There's just like this inherent hope to that. Like, yeah, this is really cool. What I'm doing right now, but it's not my last greatest thing. So that was probably the best piece of advice I've ever been given when it comes to business. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? Oof. Probably having a really high tolerance for pain um, and patience. You know, running your own business is all about how long can you hold your breath. Uh, I have no, I have no qualms or hesitation about being in the pain cave if I know what the outcome is going to be. So that's probably the biggest attribute is just being okay with a lot of pain for a long time, and just you know, just knowing like where are we going and how do you stick it out. And being kind to people. I mean, can't lose with kindness. Yeah. Can you uh, share an internet resource, a tool or app that you use regularly that you think our audience would find valuable? Good question. For design or just in general? Just anything that you use as an entrepreneur or agency owner uh, or even personal life that you just can't live without? Um, I, I love... Uh, okay, I'll give you a super nerdy example. There's an app called Numi, N-U-M-I. It's for Mac. I think it might be on PC, but it's it's a it's the best calculator I've seen out there. If you're a business owner, you're always running numbers, you're always doing calculations. It's super tedious to like doing text edit or other things. So I love Numi on an iPad. I love Notability. An iPad Pro with a pencil is you can't beat it. And Notability is my favorite app. Evernote, of course, Dropbox, Campaign Live. Ad Age, Ad Week, if you're in the advertising space, those are great. Um, cool. Yeah. We got a few. And cool. uh, last uh, lightning round, what book would you recommend and why? Man, there's a lot of good books. I really liked Selling the Invisible by Harry Beckwith. That's an older one. Like I'm trying to give you ones that... like All, all of the Malcolm Gladwell books, I really like quite a bit. Uh, Selling the Invisible, anything from, from Harry Beckwith, I like a lot. Uh, there's actually this book. I didn't know you were going to ask this. So it's not planned, I promise. But you say more than you think. It's all about uh, basically body language, which is really, really great, especially in today's day and age where uh, there's so much going on. How do you like defeat imposter syndrome? How do you have confidence? How do you communicate? Um, so that one I'm really, really enjoying. Very cool. Well, we will link out and to... Design. What's that? Oh, I was going to say change by design. Tim Brown or uh, Tim Brown, sorry, changed by design. Tim Brown found an idea. It's, it's a classic. It's another favorite. Nice, dude. You've you've given us expanded reading list and an expanded app list. So if you guys are listening to this on the road or on a run or like me on my bike, and you want to get all these good links to selling the invisible, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, you say more than you think. Changed by design, as well as Numi, Notability, Evernote, Dropbox campaign live and some of the other things that uh, John mentioned today, as well as some takeaways, quotables, all that good stuff. Check it out at our show notes page, yougurus.com forward slash podcast. If you're listening to this week of, you'll see John's episode and face up there on our page. Uh, John, how can our audience find out more about you? Is there anything that you have they can check out? Yeah, definitely. Um, Any virtual tomatoes can be thrown at me on socials at John Weiss. So it's just at John Weiss. And then humandesign.com is the best place to see our work and learn about us. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I think all of my social profiles are open. So if you do be nice and 
I'm always looking for really good people to connect with and learn from. Very cool. We will also add those links to our show notes page. So if you want to follow up with more info on John, check out that show notes page, eagerus.com slash podcast. And we will link out to your socials, humandesign.com, all that good stuff. So if you want to get more info, uh, I, I don't think anybody's going to throw some virtual tomatoes at you, dude. I think you guys do great <laughs> stuff. I think people want to learn from you. And uh, congrats on the success that you've had in your business, Thank in your you. agency, going from you know zero to 40 people in seven years is a huge feat. The clients you have are amazing. The work you guys do is amazing. So listeners, go check out their work. Trust me, you're going to love it and you're going to be inspired. Uh, John, thanks so much for stopping by the program today. Thanks, Brent. Really appreciate it, man. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want that free ebook on how to scale to multiple six and seven figures, all you got to do is DM me on Facebook the word gift at Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver.